open up to Daniel 4. We're going to read quite a bit of scripture and, uh, and talk about this. So, before we even get to Nebuchadnezzar and get to see God work in him again on this global scale, because at this time he's the leader of the known world, the most important person, powerful person, um, the thing that got them there in the first place is Israel's own pride. Right? That's why they're in captivity in the first place, because they essentially had king after king who did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. If you turn to, or you don't have to, you can jot this down if you want, Second Chronicles 36, 5 and 7, uh, it talks about just what they did to get themselves into the situation that they're in, where we pick up the story today. It says Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord his God. Against him came up Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and bound him in chains to take him to Babylon. So it wasn't just one king at one specific point in time. Granted, there were a few kings who did what was good and pleasant in the sight of the Lord. But for the most part, this was representative of all of them as a whole, as a, as a, as a nation. They did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and that's what, what, what led them to captivity. In captivity, if you want to jet, or excuse me, um, if you want to jot down Psalm 67, it, it shows what Israel's purpose was. They were to be a light to the nations. They were to be a nation to which all the other nations in the world would look at and, and say, I want to know that God, Yahweh, because he is good. See, they weren't supposed to have a private relationship. They were God's special chosen people. But the purpose of that, if you read Psalm 67, was so that they could be a light to all the other nations around so that many and the whole world would come to know him. And they messed that up. They failed, and it led to captivity. King Nebuchadnezzar came in and and swept them and, and, and took them out and carried them back. So as kind of a recap, in captivity, God chose a man named Daniel and his friends. We learned about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego last week, and they're just their great display of faith, their resolute faith in God, that even if it's going to cost us our lives, we're going to say yes to Jesus. You're going to say yes to God instead of bowing down to Nebuchadnezzar, right? We saw that great display. But in captivity, we see these men doing awesome things for the Lord that's going to have a ripple effect, huge implications on the whole world because simply they said yes to God. So not only would, was, was Daniel chosen by God, but Daniel was chosen by the world. He was chosen by the culture. He was chosen by King Nebuchadnezzar. And, and that elevated him to a place where he had influence in, in, in the life of Nebuchadnezzar, but influence in the life of a lot of people. And God used that to display his sovereignty to the world, to show that God, Yahweh, is in control. So the only problem is Nebuchadnezzar thought he was in control, right? He thought he was the ruler. He thought he was the man. He thought he was the best. He thought he was the most important being on earth. So now we've got this conflict where, where who's going to win, Nebuchadnezzar or, or God? So what I want to say today, as we carry on in the story, is if we submit to God, if we submit to God's calling on our life, we honestly truly have no idea what kind of implications, what kind of ripple effect that might have in the lives of of others, what impact we might have, and who might know, come to know Jesus because of you. Because, again, Daniel and his friends, their, their, their yes to God made a huge impact on the world, really, at that time. So Daniel 4. If you're following in the notes, um, jot this down, that pride prevents us 
from fully submitting to God. Pride prevents us from fully submitting to God. See, Psalm 10, verse 4 says, In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. So think about that for a second. And write down, pride prevents us from submitting fully to God. And we're going to see that worked out in Nebuchadnezzar right here. Chapter 4, verse 1 says this. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the, the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. See, that sounds great. That's very flattering. But at this point, Nebuchadnezzar has already said something similar to that three or four times before. And and, and here's the thing. As we're about to read and find out, um, it's merely just words for him, right? He's playing the game. He's, he's, he's professing God, but he does not possess a relationship with God yet. Uh, he, he, he's, he's just giving lip service, right? Because there's a difference between talking about God and actually having a relationship with God. Uh, the book of James says that even the demons believe, even they, they, they profess God, right? But there's a difference there. So he's able to play the game. He's able to talk, to talk the talk, but he wasn't actually submitted to God yet. He was a fence writer, right? Because up until this point... God was able to do some pretty cool stuff, some signs and wonders through Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But King Nebuchadnezzar, his loyalties were still divided because he had a myriad of other gods, and they were pretty cool too. Grant showed us last week that he was named after one of his other gods, right? So really, it was just the flavor of the week for him. God was able, Yahweh God was able to do something awesome for Nebuchadnezzar, so he's going to give a couple accolades here, and, and oh, cool, the God of this guy is cool, so I'm going to add him into my, my list of, of gods that I can draw from and pull from and, and get what I need from. So up until this point, he, 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 his loyalties were still divided by, by this God, and it was just another one for him. If you missed Grant's sermon, Pastor Grant's sermon last week, he, he gave a really cool definition of what idolatry means, and he stated that it's not, we don't think of it in terms of, we're probably not going to go and, and bow down to an image or an idol or, a, or something like that, an erected image, but it's, it's a lot um, different for us today, and, and, it, and it comes in a lot different forms that we might not even suspect. So, in Exodus 20, uh, three through five in in the Ten Commandments, it talks about um, just that there are no other gods before God. And Nebuchadnezzar didn't quite understand this this message yet. His loyalties were still divided uh, because God desired exclusive worship. He's the one true, only, powerful God. He's not one of many gods who can do many great things. And this lesson was going to be learned by Nebuchadnezzar uh, the hard way here shortly. And, 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 and the purpose so that all the world, all the living, it says, may know that God rules the earth. That God is in charge. So let's keep reading. Daniel 4, pick it up in verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, 
the Chaldeans and the astrologers came in, and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. At last, Daniel came in before me, he who was named Belshazzar, after the name of my God, and in whom the spirit of the Holy is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream, saying, O Belshazzar, chief of magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and that no mystery is too difficult for you, tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretation. The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong, and its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and lop off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze. Amid the tender grass of the field, let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts of, in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's and let a beast's mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. This dream I, Nebuchadnezzar, saw, and you, O Belshazzar, tell me the interpretation, because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation but you are able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. So he says, I, I, I need someone to, t- I've, I've had another dream. Some time has passed since his last dream, and this time he's alarmed, he's disturbed. I've had another dream, and I need to know what it means. So he, again, he goes to his astrologers, he goes to his magicians, and they're not able to do it. And then he comes to Daniel, who he should have went the first time, because Daniel has the awesome track record with interpreting dreams, because he serves God, right? But he goes to Daniel, and he says, Daniel, I've had this dream. What does it mean? Verse 19. Then Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belshazzar answered him and said, My lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw, which grew and became strong so that its top reached the heaven, and, it's, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and which was food for all, under which beasts of the field found shade, and in whom, whose branches the birds of the heavens lived, it is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reached to he- reaches to heaven, and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, But leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze, in the tender grass of the field, and let him be wet with dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field, till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. It's a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my lord the king, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with dew of heaven. And seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know 
that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may be perhaps a lengthening of your prosperity. So Daniel, so, okay, so Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. It alarms him. It worries him. He brings in his people. He brings in Daniel. And Daniel goes, all right, I can, I can, I can, I can do this. I can, I can tell you what your dream means. So he starts to explain it to him. But he says, here's the problem. It's, 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 it's good news and bad news. So the good news is you're the tree. And this tree's growing up into heaven. It's huge. It provides food for everybody. It's, it's awesome. You're awesome. You're doing a good thing. There's the, uh, birds live in the branches, and it provides shade for the beasts of the field, and it's abundant, and it's beautiful, and it's awesome. And the bad news is it's going to be chopped down. <laughs> it's going to be chopped down. And he says, he, 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 he says King, I, I wish I, I didn't have to tell you the bad news. I wish the bad news was about your enemies and it wasn't about you. But he stood firm in front of the most powerful person and said, Hey, buddy, um, you, you think you were all that in a bag of chips, but you're going to be cut down soon. And, and he had to deliver this news to Nebuchadnezzar. And, and he did. And he was a faithful servant in doing so. So, when we read this, there's good news and there's bad news, right? As we're going to continue to read in the story, I, I, I'll, I'll prep you for it. Um, Nebuchadnezzar digs in his heels and, and he chooses to, to listen only to the good news part of it. He doesn't change his mind and he continues. So it's kind of like he has selective hearing. Any parents have kids with selective hearing? Right? Or any, anybody else in your family, like they hear what they want to hear and nothing else? I think that's what's going on with, with Nebuchadnezzar here. Because he hears all the stuff like, hey, you're the man, you're the man, you're the man. You're this tree and the food and it's beautiful. And it says that the height was great and it became strong and its top reached heaven. It's visible to the whole earth. It's beautiful. The fruit was abundant. There was food for all. Beasts found shade under it. Uh, birds lived in its branches and all flesh was fed by it. And, and he's like, yes, yes, tell me more, tell me more. This is awesome. This is good. But then... Daniel delivers the bad news, which is, and it's going to be chopped down because you're not all that. But he doesn't quite hear that part. And that's what pride does. Pride has selective hearing. It says, I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm the man. And, it's, and it always looks for ways to look inward at self. Um, and that's what got us into this mess in the first place, right? With Adam and Eve in the garden, they, they said, we don't need you, God. We can do this on our own and we're going to make the decision to, to eat of the fruit that you said was bad for us, that we shouldn't eat, but we think it's good, so we're going to go ahead and side with what we think is good and, and eat the fruit. It's the original sin, right? Uh, I got a couple verses up here on the slide if you want to jot these down or take a look at them. Um, we've already read Psalm 10:4, but it says, In the pride of his face the wicked does not seek him. This is certainly true of King Nebuchadnezzar. Um, his pride prevented him from fully submitting to God. His pride prevented him from, from saying, Okay, I believe the whole interpretation and not just the part, not just the good news. Um, from Proverbs 16:5, everyone who is arrogant or proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. Wow, that's pretty intense. That's pretty pointed when speaking of our spiritual pride and the fact that we think 
that we don't need God in our life. That's tough. Um, further in Proverbs 16, it says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. Many of us have probably experienced this where we, we thought this. We had this mindset that we're awesome. And um, we fell. We collapsed. We lost it. We broke down. And that's a tough place to be in. And, and some of us are on the other side of that and have learned the lesson from that and are able to, to walk in a more intimate and mature relationship with Christ because we learned of God's humbling. Pride, this autonomy from God, it's a difficult sin to kick. In his book called Near Christianity, C.S. Lewis talks about pride extensively. If you haven't read it, uh, get a copy, borrow a copy. There's not one in the library currently because I looked and mine is in a box somewhere. But he says this when speaking of pride. There is one vice of which no man in the world is free. We're all guilty of it, right? To some degree. There's one vice of which no man in the world is free, which everyone in the world loathes when he sees it in someone else, right? We can't stand when, we can't stand prideful people. And that might be indicative of our own pride. Again, there's one vice of which no man in the world is free, which everyone in the world loathes when he sees it in someone else, and of which hardly any people ever imagine that they are guilty of themselves. I'm not proud. Okay. So Nebuch- uh, excuse me, Daniel gives Nebuchadnezzar the interpretation of the dream. The first part is, you've become a great leader in the world. Everybody looks to you. Everybody knows you. You've grown so tall that you're seen from all over the place. You feed many's, and again, his posture is, yes, yes, tell me more. I'm awesome. I know it. But there's bad news, and and Daniel warned him of the bad news. The bad news is you will be chopped down. You will be chopped down. And he gives him an opportunity, though. Because God is, is patient, God is kind, he gives him an opportunity, and, and Daniel says, hey, kick off your sins. Practice righteousness. Show mercy to the oppressed. Change. Get rid of the pride that holds you down. Get rid of the pride that you think you need to be the person you are. What do you think he does? Will he submit to God or continue in his prideful autonomy? Verse 28. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar at the end of 12 months. So he got a year to think about it. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And he and the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? Do you think he changed? Do you think he got the message? Thir- 31. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men, 
and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hair grew long as eagle's feathers, and his nails were like bird's claws. So the so it was fulfilled. It came true. He was chopped down. He continued to take credit for everything, even knowing what will happen. Daniel warned him. Daniel's track record was awesome because he didn't even get the dream last time. He, he, he was able to say, here's your dream and its interpretation, but he refused to acknowledge God. He refused to acknowledge Daniel. He, 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 he refused, refused excuse me, to acknowledge God's character, his consistent character, his consistent um, nature. And he dug in his heels in his pride and resisted God once again. And, and here was the purpose. The purpose was so that he, so that the world would know that God does rule in heaven, that God is ultimately in control, that God is all-powerful and all-sovereign. So- uh, Charles Spurgeon, a great pastor, um, when speaking of the sovereignty of God, said, the thing we hate most about God is the thing we love most about ourselves. And he goes on to say, we're all, we all try to be little sovereigns. And what he means by that is this. Um, we don't want God to be able to say what we do with our life. We want to be able to say what we do with our life. We want to make our decisions. We think we know what's best. And, and the truth of it is, is, is not only does God have a plan, does, not only is God unlimited and we're limited, not only is he infinite and we're finite, but his plan's so good for us. And the problem with pride and autonomy is that we try to take and say, no, I know what's best. And and hate to break it, but we're just not that smart. We don't know what's best for our own lives. We think we do. And so the thing we hate most in God is control. And the fact that he gets to say how things work properly and best is the thing we love most in ourselves. That same control. The only problem is we're sinful. And it always gets twisted. So he, he, he failed to acknowledge that every good and perfect gift came down from God. James 1. He failed to acknowledge Daniel's warning of repentance. He failed to acknowledge God's consistent character. And he dug in his heels and in pride he resisted God once again. So the result is the prophecy was fulfilled and God chopped him down. God humbled him. Uh, If you read with me, I think it'll be on the screen, James chapter 4 and a few verses from that chapter speaking about pride and and how God does sometimes have to humble us if we're stubborn. And and humbling ourselves can be so much of a more more of a pleasant process than God humbling us. So James 4 says, uh, therefore it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And further down, it says, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Nebuchadnezzar resisted in his stubbornness, and God humbled him. He lost his mind. He went insane. He ate grass like an ox. It's a crazy mental picture to think about what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. But part of that promise was, Your kingdom will be restored. It says his sanity came back to him. And he was, ignab- he was able to acknowledge God. Let's continue on in verse 34. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven 
and my reasoning and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and my splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are right, and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. So he's got firsthand experience with that. So after being humbled by God, and after living like a beast, and losing his mind and insanity for seven years, it says his reason returned to him, and it says he lifted his eyes to heaven. He lifted his eyes to God. In Scripture, there's a theme all throughout the Bible that you may be familiar with, uh, writers in the Psalms and all throughout the Bible that says, I lift my eyes to heaven, or I lift my eyes to God. Uh, a couple would be this, Psalm 123, if you want to jot it down, says, I lift my eyes to you whose throne is in heaven. And it's always a picture of submitting one's life to God. Isaiah 45, 22 says this, the Lord speaking, look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. King Nebuchadnezzar lifted his eyes. Instead of looking at me, instead of looking at what I can do, like his pride was saying, like, look at me. Look at all I've done. Look at my Babylon. Look at my majesty. Look at, look at all that I have done. He, he looked up. He looked up to God, and he acknowledged God. Uh, continue on. Another C.S. Lewis quote about pride says this. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. This is certainly true of King Nebuchadnezzar. He was looking inward at himself. He was looking down at his, his subjects, his people, his, the world that he was in charge of. And because of that, because of that pride and autonomy, it prevented him from looking up and seeing the one true God, Yahweh, who is able to, to rule and, and, and is truly in control and truly sovereign and powerful. So, he says, he makes another profession of God. Was he genuine, guys? It says, so I, my, I lifted my eyes to heaven, my reason returned to me. He said, I, and I blessed the Most High God and praised and honored him who lives forever. This is a direct quote, something that he's already said earlier in verse 3. He says, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. So is he just merely talking the talk again? Is he just saying the right things again because he was embarrassed, humiliated, um, brought low, humbled? Or is this genuine? I think it might be indicative when he lifts his eyes to heaven that, that he gets it. Additionally, he says some things. The way in which he speaks about God this time is different, and that suggests that he gets it. Because not only does he say, yeah, God's cool, and, and Yahweh's great, and, and so are my gods, but he also says that he... 
it extols him in verse 37. I praise and extol and honor the king of heaven for his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. I think he's got a different tone than he ever has before because the way in which he talks about God, Yahweh, is different than he ever has before. And he says, and because of that, I praise God. And because of that, I honor God. He's able to, he humbled me. He's able to do it. And he said, he does whatever he wants. He does according to his will, and no one can stay his hand. Not my God, not any of my gods, and no one can say to him, what have you done? So I think he gets it. He learns this lesson. He learns it the hard way. And again, this is possibly the mightiest man on earth at this time. See, you can imagine what kind of reverberations that had throughout the whole world. Learning about, because this was a letter that Nebuchadnezzar wrote himself. If you look at the author of chapter 4, this is something he said. So again, you can imagine the kind of reverberations this had throughout the, the known world. Man, Nebuchadnezzar had a, had a tough bit, but here's what he's saying. He's saying that there is one true God, the God of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And, and he's truly in charge, and he's able to do all these things. So he makes this prov- profession this, uh, of faith in, in God. So as we start to conclude, I, I, I want to ask, what does this have to do with me today? Um, b- because I, I would hope and assume that none of us got out of, the, out of bed this morning and, and, and said, God, I don't need you. Um, you're not there. I don't need you. I can do this myself. Uh, it, it's not likely that this crowd today actually verbally says that. But here's the thing about pride. It's so much sneakier than that because it comes out when we least expect it. And that's when we live day to day. It comes out in the mundane. It comes out in the, the everyday decisions where we act as if we don't need God. We leave him out of our plans. And we start to operate in a way where we're doing things on our own without the advice, without the counsel of God, without inviting him into everything we do. And, 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 and it's cool that we get to gather here on a Sunday morning, but it's really got to be lived out Monday through Saturday also right? Because pride is sneaky, and it's something that all of us are guilty of um, to whatever degree. Whatever, to, whatever degree, uh, each of us wrestles with this in some way, shape, or form, because each of us have times where we live as if we don't need the helping hand of God. And it's a tough place to be, because again, God's plan is good for us. He, he loves us, um, but there's this, this pride we got to wrestle. And the cool part is this. We have a Savior who humbled himself to the point of death on a cross so that we might not have to live separated from him in our pride, autonom- autonomously thinking we know the way to life. We have a Savior who humbled himself so that we can kill the pride in our life. We can kill the, the thing in our life that says we, we don't need God. We have a Savior who humbled himself so that we can be humble. And, and love him, and serve him, and love others, and serve others. Jesus gave his life so we don't have to live separated from him, but connected to him. So, so bow your knee to him, because he loves you, and his plan's good for you. Look up to him. Lift your eyes to him who loves you and cares for you. Let's pray. God, thank you for this opportunity to open your word. I pray, God, that uh, you would do the work in our lives that only you can do. God, I pray that we wouldn't go into this trying to, 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 to do it ourselves, but that we'd open up our lives to say, God, 
um, here you go, I'm yours. Get rid of what is not pleasant to you and, 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 and work in my life. God, I pray that we'd be humble. I pray that we'd emulate your son Jesus in his humility. I thank you that you love us, God. I thank you that your care for us is immense. I thank you that your plan for us is good. And I pray that we would humbly bow our knee in submission to that plan and and say, yes, God, I am finite, but you are infinite. You know better than I do, and I trust you with my life. I pray that in in that bowing of our hearts to you, Jesus, that, that many lives would be touched, that your light, that your glory, that your sovereignty would be seen by, 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 by many in our, in our church, in our community, in our homes, in our workplaces, that your name would be glorified because we chose to say yes to you. God, be with us this week. Help us to invite you into the mundane things, as some would call it, into the little things, into the big things. Help us not operate autonomously, but to to tell you you're in charge of all things in our life. Holy Spirit, we need your strength. We need your grace. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.